monster from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It got on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. He did the match. He did the monster match. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Kelly Franco Troop. This is episode 332 right now on the network, Real Voices of the Game. That was a little Halloween music. It's Halloween week here, October 30th today. We'll have this podcast out this afternoon for our audience. Great show today. We're going to uh, cover some World Series action, a lot of managerial changes, front office changes uh, that we're going to hit in our main segment. And then, of course, at the end, we're going to find out what uh, what KFT eats during the World Series. And this is a date in October with KFT, even though we are approaching November. So we'll continue with the show just in case there was any suspense out there to say that the title indicated we weren't. Uh, once we get October, of course, we'll be pushing for next October for that special date with KFT. Before we bring Kelly on, just want to uh, special thanks to our audience. 55,000 and climbing, grassroots MLB front offices, 74 countries. Thanks for pushing us hard to get us on the iHeartRadio podcast network. Very powerful, and we've held our own in our first month there and then some. Uh, want to announce uh, today a special treat for our audience today, and you're going to get a 20% discount if you use our discount code here. So I want you to look up Blackout Coffee. Uh, Blackout Coffee has connected with us. They enjoy what we're doing. Uh, feel like there's a kind of a symbiosis between their mission and ours. So Blackout Coffee, if you go to their site, all Real Voices of the Game listeners, if you type in the code DAVID, all capital letters, D-A-V-I-D, and the number 20 after that, you'll get a 20% discount on your total purchase the first time through. We will be putting out a special code affiliated with the show, so in perpetuity, you will be able to get a 15% discount on all sales uh, that you that you deal with Blackout Coffee. Tremendous, tremendous uh, mission. Great tasting coffee. I'm drinking it right now myself. Um, it's got all different flavors, especially the holiday flavors, but it's got your traditional uh, kind of the, for the mild, uh, the medium, bold, and then the strong. I like the strong and nothing in my coffee, just straight up black coffee. So you know, with that, uh, welcome back. Had a little hiatus. Kelly, I don't know if you want to share where you were at and kind of get the audience back up to speed where you, where you visited, if that's not too uh, too intrusive. Not, not at all, Dave. It's great to be back. My playoff picks were so bad that I actually had to leave the country for two weeks and go to Italy. Just I couldn't show my face around here. You got extradited, huh? Yep. That's all right. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, I don't think many people had Arizona uh, going to the World Series. And I don't think anybody had Texas. I mean, Texas had a nosedive late in the season. They were leading the leading the, their uh, division. They were going to be a get a bye in the first round, and then they went from that to being the underdog in the wild card game. And I don't think they played a home game from like mid September through now, um, other than the times that they were mandated in the playoffs. And what uh, what a great story with those two those two teams, especially Arizona being. I think they've got, if not the lowest, one of the you know three to four lowest budgets in the league. They're both great stories. And one thing I've learned about both of these teams, Dave, is they both really believed in themselves and they knew they were underdogs, but they didn't care. They didn't give it any brain space. They were like, we're good enough and we're going to go play our game. Yeah, it's, that's such as baseball. Two, two, I like the, the two managers as well. <clears throat> they're, they're doing things in the playoffs that we don't see a lot in the regular season, bunting guys over. That's how Texas beat Philly. I mean, a lot of... Uh, egoless at bats, uh, moving guys over, hitting behind runners, bunning guys. Uh, where Philly, I think, uh, at times did that, but it was really they were kind of swinging from their rear ends. Pardon the the baseball pun there. But both those teams combined for over over uh, two hundred losses just a couple years ago. Yeah, they've come a long way. I love the way the D backs play. They have been doing sacrifice bunts. I really enjoyed seeing that. Evan Longoria had a had a sack bunt in game two. And I think there were maybe two or three bunts in that game and one in game one. It's nice to watch. And they're good on the bases. They have good fundamentals. And of course the Texas offense is just off the charts. Yeah. 
I, well, Corey Seager has really emerged. Uh, he's, he's always been on that, that budding star and he's in, in front of a grand stage right now. He's justifying that big salary that Texas paid in the off season for him. Did you stay up for that whole game one, Dave? Yeah, I was very glad to see that there's no ba- no ghost runners in the playoffs. That's yes. uh, that, that looks a little too much like gym class for me. Yeah, the Twitterverse was rejoicing. Nobody likes the ghost runner. Oh, I check that. The players I've heard like the ghost runner, uh, but the fans don't like it. And it was beautiful to see an extra innings game one World Series game with no ghost runner. And I stayed up, although I have to confess, I did doze off a couple times on the couch because it went pretty late. And that may have something to do with the food that I ate that night, but we'll cover that at the end. Yeah, we don't want to skip ahead. We'll go right from the top of the first to, through the main section to the to the last part. But who? anybody catch your eye in the from either team that you, you've enjoyed watching, you hadn't got to watch all year and kind of just surprised? I know Seager, Seager's been a star among stars. Seager has been great, and Adolis Garcia has had homers in five straight postseason games. That's ridiculous. And on the D-back side, I've truly enjoyed watching their pitchers because the truth is that at the beginning, I knew they had Zach Allen. Everyone knew they had Zach Allen. But I didn't know a whole lot about Merrill Kelly and their bullpen Game one aside, that didn't go well for their bullpen, but their bullpen has been really good in the postseason. And the only guy whose name I knew until a couple of weeks ago was Paul Seawall, the closer, because I knew they had gotten him from the Mariners at the closing deadline. And they got this other guy, Ginkle, who's been amazing. Their pitching's been positively lovely, but this Merrill Kelly uh, has really caught my eye. His performance in game two was tremendous. Yeah, he's been a workhorse all playoffs. And I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are where – I knew of him, but not enough to get excited about, you know, saying, hey, Merrill Kelly's taking a mountain. This is a must watch. And now it is. I tuned in for him during the first his first start in the playoffs. He's, he does not want to come out. He threw, I think he threw seven. Um, he came back in the, the, the divisional round before that for the, uh, for the NL championship round. And they had to take him out of game seven. I guess that must have been in the plans before. And. Uh, boy, he put up a stink. He did not want to come out after that four and a third. He didn't he- want to come out. That was a uh, that was game six, I think. Game six. And yet, yeah, uh, Lavulo pulled him out after five innings, and there was a little bit of a row in the dugout. And that's what I like to see because I respect the manager. I think that was his plan, so that's fine. He took him out, but you want to see a pitcher fighting to be in there. Yeah, I think so. And he, yeah, I saw that where he went to go whether shake his hand or whatever. And, and Kelly would refuse to, and even kind of smacked it away a little bit. And when they, when they asked, uh, they asked, obviously the, the media is right inside the dugout. We, we saw it as, you know, people sitting on our couches and I, I liked his response. He, he was very, uh, he said that some, some decisions are made beforehand out and they're outside of my hands. So he, uh, he, he was very clear that that decision wasn't coming from him, uh, so to speak. Yes, that's an excellent point. And did you know that he was pitching in the KBO in the Korean Baseball League until 2018? Yeah, I did. I we uh, I can't remember who we had on. It may have been, um, it may have been. Gosh, I'll have to look back. And we, we have we had some Diamondback scouts on, and we, we've had that story told a couple of times. And then we had Jared Cosart on too. For some reason, he has a connection with him as well. And uh, yeah, so we, we've had that story on a couple of times on the podcast, just organically, not really seeking it out, but boy, you know, that's, those are the comeback stories you love to hear about. Yeah. He had been with the Rays from 2010. I guess he was drafted by the Rays in 2010. He was there until 2014 and then he was left unprotected in the rule five draft, but nobody drafted him. So he went and played in Korea and he was under contract there. And then the D-backs called him the day he became a free agent. Or thereabouts. Yeah, and he's been worth the worth the fine. That's I'm hoping, you know, we look at the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, all these teams that are spending exorbitant amounts of money. The way the Diamondbacks are playing right now, I hope that maybe they're starting a new trend. Certainly Tampa Bay's done a nice job of finding their way in the market. It it took even though Arizona did win a World Series uh back when they had, you know, but they they did it a different way. They 
Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Luis Gonzalez. They, they, they bought some pretty expensive free agents. They're doing it a different way now. They're doing it with their own homegrown talent for the most part. And they're doing it at a very low price. And maybe they're, and they're doing, they're playing, I hate to say old fashioned baseball because it makes it seem like they're playing baseball. And, uh, I hope they're starting a new trend because it's a monkey see, monkey do world out there in sports. Baseball has changed so much over the last 20 years, hasn't it? Because when Billy Bean started to do his whole sabermetrics thing, there was in a way, you know, probably an edge to it because he was a guy who was trying to figure out how to find undervalued players and develop a new way of doing it. But then everybody started doing it. And I think we're ready for a climate where people find a new way to develop uh, and seek out undervalued players. And I'm hoping that new way is an old school, good old scouting way. Yeah. And I love it. Well, I love the kid Carroll. Uh, he's he going to be rookie of the year this year for the, the, uh, the NL uh, plays a couple different outfield positions for him, but boy, he can fly, puts the bat on the ball, moves the ball around. He, he, he's even bunted a few times to move guys over. And then on the other side, we talk about a different way of scouting. Evan Carter, who is a starting left fielder uh, for Texas, a rookie as well. They brought him up at the end. When we did some research on him, he was nowhere to be found in any Baseball America top 500. He wasn't even ranked in his state of Tennessee. Didn't do travel baseball. Didn't do any of those prerequisites. I'm doing air quotes on an audio-only show that people try to make these young kids believe they have to do. And he was found the old fashioned way through what we would call a a local bird dog scout who wasn't affiliated anymore with the organization, but called Texas former, former minor leaguer happened to be coaching a kid. I said, this is a kid you need to come see. And they went down and saw him under the radar a couple of times and drafted him. And here he is in the big leagues, you know, two and a half years later. I love that story. And he's another guy whose name we didn't really know. Mm Mm-mm. He didn't. He came up at the end of the season when they expanded rosters, and he's never left. So he's like a bad house guest. <laughs> who can hit? Who can hit and run? We'll we'll keep those. We'll rename them um, if they can hit and run. So, um, so you'll be tuned in. Uh, you know, obviously for for game three right now. Who are you? No, knowing what you said that you, you had a you had a rough uh, selection process here with who was going to f- end up in the World Series, but I don't think you're alone globally. Who do you see? winning out here in the World Series? Oh, that's tough. I mean, honestly, it's a guess more than anything at this point. Both of these teams are so qualified and a little bit unpredictable. Uh, So I don't know who to give the edge to, but tonight we have Scherzer, who everyone knows his name, versus Brandon Fott. And I talked about Brandon Fott on our last podcast when I was talking about D-backs pitchers to watch. But so at least I knew of him, but I was mispronouncing his name. I think I called him Brandon Fat. So it just goes to show how these D-backs guys are, especially for us East Coasters, we just didn't get to watch them a lot and get to know them. So I'm looking forward to seeing him pitch. Well, you're you're excused with the mispronunciation. I do that to you two out of every three shows. So, and I, I know each other, so we'll excuse you on that. I think tonight the Rangers are going to have to have the bullpen ready for Scherzer, at least when he pitched in um, the LCS. He didn't last too many innings. I can't remember what it was, maybe three or four. Maybe you remember. Yeah, he had, he had two. Well, his first outing was rough. His second one was a little bit better. But I, someone had asked us in one of our other shows what we thought about that. And I, I like the fact that they started him in those games because he's trying to work the rust off and I'm hoping he has. It'd be nice to see the old Max Scherzer go in a World Series game on national TV. Well, not only that, but if these pitchers can go deep tonight, it's really going to matter for tomorrow night because the game four pitchers are still TBD. I checked this morning. So they could be kind of a bullpen slash opener slash patchwork kind of game. So if either Scherzer or Fott can go deep tonight, it's really going to help out their team tomorrow. Yeah, and I, I'm wondering if they're being coy or if they, uh, like like you said, maybe it could be a bullpen game for both both uh, both groups if they, you know, if they don't have a starter because they are somewhat thin um, with the rotations. But I, I you know, who I, I've loved in the playoffs, and I hate to kind of jab Yankee fans with this, but Jordan Montgomery, to me, has really emerged as an ace. Oh, yeah, and it's killing Yankee fans. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's a 
big, strong guy, uh, lefty, of course. I mean, that sh- that goes well in Yankee Stadium. But he's been throwing early strikes. He's been locating his fastball, and he's been going deep into games. And if that's not a frontline starter in Major League Baseball, I don't know what is. And I don't know how – I guess we all missed it a little bit, but they, they had him hidden in that third, fourth spot. And I couldn't be happier for him because I think it was so hard when the Yankees traded him. He was a homegrown Yankee, and I think he was – surprised and obviously saddened when he got traded to the Cardinals, but now it's really worked out for him and he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. So I'm sure Yankee fans wouldn't mind welcoming him back. Yeah. And I I was going to ask you if you knew what his status was. I thought I read that, but I had, I also read that he would love to go back to New York, which would be a great, uh, great move for the Yankees. I'm sure they picked up some, they picked up some talent for him and now if they get him back, they double dipped and sort of like to, to give a little Seinfeld reference. Right. And speaking of New Yorkers who have gone elsewhere and played well, Tommy Pham has been playing really well in the World Series. He's an ex-Met. Yeah, he came out strong against the Mets' work ethic this year, was very vocal about it, even named players. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he had a nice run with St. Louis. He had some medical issues, I think, with his eyes. And... He's 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 got all the tools, but he came out about work ethic, and I'm, I didn't know which side to take. And our Hall of Famer, our resident Hall of Famer, Kevin Kernan, um, had some insight into it, and he really defended Fam in that regard, which was the total opposite of what I saw out there in the in the media, where everybody was coming after him. And he he was right. I watched Fam a little bit more closely. He's a tremendous player. He's, he's he showed well in the playoffs, and certainly fits in with that that team. I heard an interview with Mark Canna, who was on the Mets, and he was traded, I think, to the Cubs. Yeah, former A's. And, yeah, he was asked about it, and he said, you know what? Tommy Pham is such a hard worker that it doesn't surprise me that he would say that. And Canna was praising Tommy Pham. He was saying the guy just works so hard that it doesn't surprise me that he looks around and says, you know what? These guys need to work harder, too. Yeah. Now, in his... When he was in his prime before he had the, the eye issues, um, he was a legit 2020 guy. And when 2020 was good, now it, now you've got to be 40-40 with the shortened bases and the juice ball. But he was an up-and-coming prospect with St. Louis, and he just never caught. And then they found that medical condition he had, which was gave him – obviously, eyesight in baseball is fairly significant. So he's uh, looks like he's fixed it. But I just got a note in that uh, looks like – and I don't know if this has been released yet, but maybe we're releasing it on the show here – Rangers, Andrew Haney tonight. Oh, and then okay. Diamondback, or not tonight, I'm sorry. Tomorrow. Uh, yeah, tomorrow. Huh. And then uh, Diamondbacks look like they're going to go bullpen. Interesting. Yeah, but we could be wrong here. I'm just, uh, I shot it out as, as we started talking about it, and that's what you get get back in the, in the moment. So for right, phenomenal. If I'm wrong, won't be the first time today, I'm sure. So <laughs> it won't be the last. So um, so that top, top of the first anymore in, uh, in our top segment that we covered quite a bit. I think we covered a lot. I was going to just say one last thing about Tommy Pham. I thought this was nice. In Saturday's game, he had a, you know, he was four for four, and he had a chance to become the first player in World Series history to have a five for five game. He had another at bat coming up, but instead he asked the manager to let Jace Peterson pinch hit for him, you know, because it was a blowout at this point. Yeah. So Jace Peterson could get his first World Series at bat. Know that. Yeah. I think uh, that's – where did you see that? Uh, it might have been in The Athletic. I was looking over so many different articles this morning. Yeah. I can't remember where I saw it. Yeah, that flight as they let you back into the States from Italy. I'm sure you had a lot of time to read as well on that. Happy to have you back in the States. I'm glad they lifted the ban. And uh, just a reminder to those that extradited you, we all make mistakes with picks, so it'll be a little easier. KFT next. I mean, yeah, they were just so bad. Remember, we were like the Brewers, man. They're- the Brewers stopped. I ch- see. I do ten shows a week, so I, I as I see it, I change it. So I think I had the Brewers in the beginning. By the time the week ended, and I saw teams win, and I probably was right on one of the shows. But um, yeah, my first pick was the Brewers early on because of their pitching staff. I thought I thought they had the the bones to get it done, but that didn't work out really well for them or me with that selection. But yeah, but good good story on Fam. I didn't see that, but that's good. Jace. Jace Peterson's been around for a little bit, and it's nice uh, for him to be able to get that World Series at bat. What did he do in that bat? Do you remember? No, I don't know because it was I, it wasn't on my radar at the time. I just read about it this morning. Okay, 
well, moving into our main segment now, what uh, tons of managerial changes, tons of front office changes. I think it all started to start with Kim Niang, or she was the first big front office. But I'll let you I'll let you begin where you want to begin. Yeah, I think Kim's a great place to start. Um, She did decline to exercise her half of the 2024 option with the Marlins. And it was reported that she decided to leave the Marlins after they informed her that they'd be hiring a president of operations above her. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of Kim Ang. I don't know about you, but I thought she made some good moves and she got the Marlins to the postseason. You know, and that was a team that didn't have, they didn't score a ton of runs. They don't have a huge payroll. And I think she accomplished a lot with them. Yeah. You know, and we had Todd Hollinsworth on last week and he's kind of, he was with the Marlins. He was down there doing color for a long time. So he's got some insight and he asked us, he posed a question to us, which we don't have an answer to obviously, because we're not inside the Marlins front office, but from the outside, she did more with less, I thought, and, and had some great, I thought the managerial hire was good. Um, I thought she, you know, bringing over uh, Luisa Rise, people questioned that because they gave up a, you know, a good young pitcher, but uh, I thought she made some good moves. And the question that he posed to us was, what does that say about the relationship there or their perception of the job she did to not offer a longer extension? It's kind of like that rookie contract when people are done with it. How do you tell if they're good? They off. That's what Scott Boris says. They offer them that long-term deal. If they're not happy with them or they feel like they can get better, they move them on. And um, she'll pick up somewhere. She'll have a lot of options. Although she did withdraw from the Boston um, job, which I thought would have been really good for her and Boston. But um, he, he talked more of that being a kind of a chronicle of the dysfunction that is the Marlins. Well, that's really interesting insight because it kind of pairs with this report that I saw in The Athletic by Brittany Giroli, and she reported that Aang left the Marlins after numerous instances where she felt like she was being stripped of her power. But on that topic also of the extension that you just mentioned, Brittany Giroli reported that the Marlins didn't offer Aang a three-year extension, which is, she reported, standard practice for someone who has succeeded in the role of GM but it's coming into their final year of their contract. Now that's something that I haven't heard before, but that's what was reported. And now I'm going to keep an eye out for that as we move forward. Yeah. And she's not somebody who just dropped into the the realm of baseball last week. She's, she's paid her dues. She was around there with stick Michael with the Yankees and she's been in baseball a long time. She served in many different capacities with franchises that have had success. And she wasn't just along for the ride. She was a major contributor to that. So I think, you know, great that the Marlins uh, gave, uh, awarded her a deserved opportunity, uh, or maybe that was Derek Jeter doing that, her knowing her from the Yankees. But, um, you know, this, she, she has now she has her track record, and she'll parlay that into somebody who's smart who will give her that three-plus-year deal to build something, I hope. Yeah, somebody's going to get – really lucky to find her. I can't wait to see what she does next. You're right. She did decline to interview for the Red Sox position, which we'll talk about in a second. And I'm assuming that because of the report that she left in part due to the Marlins hiring a president of operations, I'm going to assume that she's not interested in any job where she's a number two, for example, the Mets. Yeah, I would think anything with the number with the Mets would be considered a number two, and I don't mean to be. Uh, I guess there is a, there is a pun intended there, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Gosh, I would be sad for her if she took that position because they're a little dysfunctional as well. I think the owner is so heavily involved with everything, almost in a childlike way, that she's she's way too professional. I was kind of hoping, even though I I, am, I side on the Yankee side of the Boston Yankee rivalry, I was kind of hoping she went there because that would push the hands of the Yankees a little bit to start making some moves as well. It would, it would kill the Yankee fans. Yeah. Where do you see, I mean, is there other opportunities out there that you could see her looking at besides, you know, obviously the decline Boston situation? You know, I really don't. I don't. I mean, the Mets are, some Mets fans on Twitter were kind of hoping that they would scoop her up, but I just don't see how she takes that with, I mean, let's talk about the Mets for a second. Billy Epler resigned as GM on October 5th. That was a surprise. 
it was revealed that he was being investigated by MLB for alleged misuse of the IL. And that was just a few days after the Mets officially announced with great fanfare, the world's worst kept secret, which was that they had hired David Stearns to be president of baseball ops. So there's something going on there and it's going to be a really interesting thing to follow in the off season. Yeah. And, and Epler's tenure, I don't know him personally. I, you know, I don't like to, I've never sat in that position before, so it's hard for me to judge. But if you look at his track record of managers that he's fired, he's fired Mike Socia, he's fired Joe Madden, he's fired Buck Showalter. That's a, that's a hall of fame list right there of managers that didn't work out um, under his, uh, I guess whatever his title was over them, GM, vice president. So that's that's a pretty dubious honor that he's uh, then bestowed or bestowed upon himself. Indeed, indeed. So it'll be interesting to see where the Mets front office goes this offseason. But you also mentioned that Kim Ang declined to interview with the Red Sox, and maybe that's because they also have um, a kind of a history of their – presidents of baseball operations not lasting for particularly long. And they've had some good ones. I mean, they had Dave Dombrowski there. He was a good GM or they call it president of baseball ops up there. But yeah. Um, and Heim Bloom, he got canned after he, as far as I can see, he did exactly what ownership wanted him to do. Yeah. I, 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 I've kind of, I've never been sad that the Red Sox were bad until they got this bad right now. And, you know, I, I, he, he was the scapegoat into it, but he, he bought into that when he took the job behind Bloom, you know, as far as being the, the mouthpiece for ownership. And I guess that's the way of the world now with them, that they want someone who's just going to do what they're told instead of think and challenge. Yeah, he'll be remembered for trading Mookie Betts to the Dodgers, and he did build up the farm system. Yeah. They got the kid Casas. I like him, Tristan Casas. He came in at first base this year. Um, so they, they have some good young pieces to, to build upon. So I, they just need someone to come in, I think, who's aggressive, who appreciates the – like almost like Philadelphia. They're going to have to go buy some players, and they're going to have to mix them in with some homegrown talent because the fans are unforgiving. They just uh, – they want to win. They want to win now. They want it all. They want that farm system too. So it's a tough job. I like that. You know, I, I thought about Nashville for her too. I don't know if you've heard the Nashville stars are uh, they're oh, making yeah. major traction as to becoming a part of MLB, which I'm mixed about. I think it's a great city. I love the, uh, the push there. In fact, Dave Dombrowski was the GM consultant prior to him taking the Phillies job, but Dave Stewart's heavily involved with them. Uh, his, uh, his wife, Lonnie Murray, who's a player agent, she's been strong in that push to get a team out there. And it may be just the right organization to, uh, to, to, to hire her, give her a couple of years to, to, you know, to build, to grow, to plan. And that may, maybe that's her next gig. Who knows? But uh, someone smart's got to hire her, create a position, someone who's got some sort of confidence in, in their skills and abilities to say, here's someone who can make us better, at least keep me in check as a GM or a vice president or whatever they're called now and just bring her on board. It's too smart to just be out there. Agreed. And Don Mattingly is also involved in those Nashville stars and the baseball winter meetings are down in Nashville this year. So it could be that Nashville's about to have its baseball moment. Yeah, I think they will eventually. The hard part for me is they, you know, the, the, the talent is so spread with major league baseball right now. And they've reduced the minor league system, so there's it's not like they've got a stable of ponies waiting. They reduced the draft, so it's not like they can you know engage more young talent uh, to keep them there. And they're letting go all these veteran guys that would gladly go down in the minor league systems to help develop talent. So I don't quite get the business decisions made by MLB. Again, I haven't been in the commissioner's chair ever, so it's I don't know if I have a right to to question and engage. But in terms of business, I know no other business that has reduced their entry point with the intention to grow. It's, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I guess it's got to make sense to somebody because that's what they're doing. Yes, it is indeed, because it's going to be Nashville and probably, or not probably, definitely one other expansion franchise in the next few years. Yeah, they'll have to come in with a pair. So some of these other openings now, what uh, you had some, you had some managerial thoughts 
on some of the skipper openings here. What do you what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What do you like? Well, I wanted to ask you first, though, do you remember uh, Craig Breslow? He's going to be the new GM of the Red Sox. He used to be a relief pitcher. Oh, nice. Yeah, I did. I uh, I had that down on the list. But I didn't know if it was finalized, confirmed. So Craig Breslow is the new GM. Interesting hire. Yeah, he's a Connecticut guy. He's from New Haven and he's a Yale graduate and he got his degree in molecular biophysics or something like that. Um, but he did also pitch. So he's not just a uh, he's not just a quant or anything like that. He was senior VP of pitching for the Cubs. So and he used to be a Red Sox. Um, so maybe he can enhance their pitching and continue to build up their farm system. Yeah, it sounds like he must have been part of that uh, managerial Theo Epstein farm system that's kind of taken over different organizations now. So well, wait and see there. See how see how that goes with him. There was one other GM thing I wanted to ask you about because I thought it was so weird, but the Detroit Tigers hired Jeff Greenberg away from the Chicago Blackhawks hockey. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I just kind of scratched my head on that. I don't, the hirings get less and less, uh, they, they're less and less coherent for me, but I, uh, I do think that will spark uh, a managerial shift. I really do um, with the hiring of him. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you'll see, I think you'll see their, uh, their skipper take a look at some open jobs because I of that. don't recall having seen a GM jump sports like that. Yeah. Well, you look at, um, i trying to think where, so the former GM of the Chicago Bulls, uh, was it Jerry Krause? He was the GM. He was one of the head GM scouts, VPs for the White Sox. Now, that was different because it was the same owner. So the guy who owned the White Sox also owned the Bulls. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a system. It's play. It, it, I guess it all determines if there's a connectivity between ownership, you know, GM. Uh, you know, we've seen stranger higher. So I guess going from hockey to baseball is not quite that strange compared to what we've seen with some of the other ones. So there's got to be, there, there's a, probably a history of developing systems and teams and, and minor league uh, you know, backup plans. So it's a kind of backfill talent. So yeah, it, you know, not as crazy as some of these recent ones, but yeah, it's done before, but not a, not a lot. And to your point about uh, managerial change, it looks like I just did a quick Google, so I can't vouch for this, but it's the first thing that popped up. Hinch's contract runs to 2025, I guess. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, um, I, I, I'll have to look. I can't remember who asked permission to talk to him, but he's uh, there's already been a couple teams that have asked permission to speak to him about uh, their opening, and I think one was granted. Let me pull that up as well. But I'll get I'll get to that as we, we move on with these managerial changes. Yeah, sure. The Giants, um, they've they've moved quickly. They fired Gabe Kapler, and we had talked about that situation on the last pod. There was some dissension, to be sure, um, coming out of that clubhouse. And the Giants hired Bob Melvin, who is I mean, he's a good baseball man. He's a three time manager of the year. And he is from Menlo Park in the San Francisco area. So this is a dream job for him, I read. Yeah, I, I think he wanted out of where he was at. I think that, you know, the whole, that whole situation's run its course up there. And I, I like the hire for them. I think it's, it's a step in the right direction. It's another baseball guy who will be strong enough to take all the information and translate it into intelligence. And I think they're going to try to rework. Well, I th- they have to rework that roster up there, but where he left as well, they're going to have to rework that one too up there in SD land. Yes, they are. They've got some work to do there. Um, and the Giants, I thought it was interesting. They also extended their president of baseball ops, Farhan Zaidi, through 2026. So I think they're going for portraying some stability there. So we'll see how that works out. Yeah, Farhan's a character. I, 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 uh, I'm curious to watch how that the dynamic of that relationship grows because he is a self-proclaimed genius. So we'll we'll see how how genius he is if he starts listening to some of those baseball people up that way. 
Um, but you mentioned the Padres. Yeah, I guess the word was that A.J. Preller, their GM, and Bob Melvin did not get along. That's how it was reported. So Preller now will need to make his fifth managerial hire. That's a lot of managerial hires. Oh, yeah. He's, he's done some... He's done some bold moves up there. He's, you know, he's brought in Machado, brought in Juan Soto, some really high-priced talent, and the talent hasn't resulted in the championships they won. I don't know how much of that is his fault, but uh, yeah, he's when you do that, when you make those bold moves and bold decisions, you have to justify the money spent. So, yeah, he's he's a, he's interesting in terms of taking that shot, but I, I think he's been people thought he he's on borrowed time three years ago um, with with his spot up there. So, I heard. Uh, Soto is a move that he's looking to do. The Yankees have been in the newspapers uh, a ton, so he can dump some salary and maybe bring in you know three to four players to fill the salary spot of one, which would, would give them more more better talent, I guess. So, but uh, I'm sure the Yankees would be very happy to get a, a Juan Soto lefty hitter on a corner of their outfield opposite a Judge. That is the word on the street. Of course, the Yankees have some young stars that the fans really enjoyed watching. I can't imagine they give up either Volpe or Dominguez. Yeah, the one name I heard, which was strange, I heard Rizzo was involved with that deal. Yeah, me too. Um, and then uh, Glaber Torres was involved, which oh, okay. salaries for the Yankees, that makes way now for some of the young talent they're moving in. So it certainly remakes the Yankee look pretty quickly and maybe that serves a purpose for I don't think San Diego wants to they don't want to rebuild that would be crazy so I think they're going to keep I would get guys like Machado but uh fill them fill around you know if, if they get him a uh, Glaber obviously proved himself this year as a, as a really good second baseman uh you got Rizzo who's you know they love him no matter where he plays he's got to stay healthy this year and and produce but you know yeah it, it'll be interesting to see what they do but I, I think the managerial shift from San Diego to San Francisco was good on many fronts, all of all the all that you've mentioned. And San Diego is looking internally. I guess one choice is Ryan Flaherty, who was the bench coach last year, and he gets along with Preller. And he was the interim manager when Melvin had a medical issue in June of 2022. But he's only 37 years old. He'd be the youngest manager in the majors. Oh wow! Yeah, they they keep. Uh... I'm all for that as long as I don't, you know, there's big debate with the, when the Giants did their interview process. I don't care how old you are, what your color is, what your religion is, what gender you are. I, I get more concerned is, is that person ready for the job? And I think the managerial job, it's, it's so ill-defined nowadays. It's not like it had been in the past where some skippers, like we're seeing these guys in the playoffs, they have a lot more control than and let's say others, and it all depends where the power shift is in an organization. And if I think if, if uh, San Diego goes that route, they're probably looking for somebody who's going to be okay with them making the lineups out in the front office and making substitution decisions based on analytics and be more of a facilitator than, a, I guess, a, a captain. Well, it's so interesting that you bring that up because I feel that way too. What kind of manager – you want and what the job description is of the manager is so dependent on what kind of front office you have. And I look, for example, at the Astros right now, and Dusty Baker is retiring and he leaves a huge legacy. I watched him when I was a kid play for the Dodgers and then he retired as a player and now he's retiring as a manager. So I guess I'm officially old. But Dusty was, he was old school. So I was kind of wondering what direction the Astros were going to go in. Are they going to stay old school or are they going to go a little more analytical school? What do you think? Well, the we had one of their candidates on our show, uh, Spada, Joe Spada. He was a guest on our show uh, earlier on. Um, right. He's their bench coach. Yep. So he's, his name has been brought up. Craig Council's another name that they, they uh, have asked. Everybody's asking to interview him. And then the name that I think uh, would be a great hire for them if they went in that direction, it's already been asked permission to speak to him, was Brad Osmus. Yep. Um, former Astro and former Tigers and Angels manager. Yep. To me, that's a great – I like that that potential fit. Now, Dusty on his way out – yeah, so Dusty on his way out made the comment that he was retiring, and he – and I wish I had the quote in front of me, but it was to the effect of, I know an awful lot about baseball, a lot more than guys who never played. 
So there were, that was kind of a parting shot. I think maybe there was some inf- interference or he had to fight too hard to uh, keep people out of his lineup card and substitutions. And if you see the way he signed his contract, to go back to Kim's comment about the three-year deal, Dusty refused to sign anything more than a one-year deal each year. And again, he's, he's a little bit older. Um, but I think that said a lot about, you know, the working relationship he had with, with Houston where he was doing them a favor to start because they had a problem and it never quite got to where he wanted it to be in terms of his, his control of, again, what, what we believe in the traditional manager's role should be. He was the perfect manager for the time and place when the Astros really needed him. That's a really good point you make after the cheating scandal. They brought him in and he, he was the guy. Yeah, they, they craved old school. You see him in the dugout, he's got a toothpick, and that's about it. Um, there's no iPad, there's no big manual, there's no anything like that. So he, uh, he was. He, was he, he stuck his chest out in front of the scandal. Uh, he created standards there, and he held everybody accountable. And they played a good brand of baseball in Houston, and they've been consistent. They've been the most consistent team record-wise even prior to the scandal in Major League Baseball probably for the last, what, eight or nine years, maybe a decade. You mentioned Craig Council. He's got a full dance card, huh? Everybody loves him. Um, we we chatted about the Brewers. We were both fans of the Brewers coming in. He's He's got a great story now. He was a, gosh, I think he spent maybe a decade in the minors before he finally got his shot at the age of 30. And I believe he was a Marlin when he came up. Um, lefty hitter, odd stance, real high hands, second baseman. Uh, but, but, a, but a baseball player and a guy, a guy that people respected out there he did well with Milwaukee. Uh, you know, they had a great pitching staff. He, a lot of position players that aren't catchers, that's this, the thing they tend to struggle with is managing the staff correctly. And he obviously has a good relationship with, with his coaches through through and through. So our, our own Jim Rooney was a part of that organization uh, for, for a long time, uh, pitching coordinator and whatnot. So I like Council's demeanor. Uh, you know, again, a lot of that, we, we talk about the line of sight, owner to GM to skipper, probably to, to star player. If that's in line, things work out well, but I'm curious as to why he's leaving. It's not, I thought he was leaving to, to stop managing, take a break, but he's leaving to take a break from Milwaukee. It looks like. Well, he could still resign with the Brewers. So the options as I see them now are Astros, Guardians, Mets, or resigning with the Brewers. I mean, it's no secret that David Stearns of the Mets really, you know, has worked with Council before and is a big fan and they have permission to interview with him. So they're coveting Craig Council, but other teams are too. And he was 16 years as an infielder. Apparently he connects well with the players. He was on that um, championship Marlins team in 97. Yeah. And then he was in the Brewers front office before he was the manager. He's a shrewd and smart guy. So what's not to like? Yeah, and he's had results. He's 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 won. He's they're always in contention. I'm I'm a fan of his as well. The Mets again. I I I want the Mets to be good. Kind of like I want Boston to be good. I'm not a Mets. I don't root for the Mets. Don't root for Boston. I'm not sure if I really root for anybody. But the uh, I just I, I just don't. I hate to see somebody who's had a great tenure just have it soured by a, a bad uh, a bad system. And the Mets, to me, when the new owner took over back and he came out, you know, ready to buy, 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 um, you know, it was exciting to a degree, but he became the center of attention. But I did notice with his new hire, if, you, if you, I don't know if you, if you caught this, but he usually he would come on like, like he was a fanboy, always with the hat on, the Mets hat, and spouting his very first – interview with their new uh new president gm he didn't have a hat on and he talked a little differently and i don't know if he talked i don't know if that was part of the hey let's let's build a whole different persona here less fan more you know you're a C- ceo um this is not a toy you know, this is a this is a business so uh, i don't know if that, what kind of influence if that's the influence in council i wish him the best or i think he'll do well but i just don't the fact that buck showalter didn't work out there is to me is frightening because he's, he's my gold standard for managers. Right. He was let go after being manager of the year in 2022. 
And I think he's going to land somewhere. I'm wondering if it might be over with the Angels or maybe with the Guardians. Yeah, the well, the, the Angels, I know, uh, they just hired his former minor league pitching coordinator. His pitching coordinator is now the new minor league pitching coordinator for the Angels. So they went ahead and started hiring. And I was one of his right-hand people with his staff. We actually had him on the show last week. And, um, and so with Buck, be interesting out there with, with the Angels. They've had some, you know, with Socia, with Madden. It's been a, been a pretty good run. I just would love to see him left alone and let him build because that's what he's great at. He's, he's been awesome at building. Did it with Arizona, did it with the Yanks, uh, got the old birds going in the right direction, started doing it with Texas way back. He's very good at working on the plane while he's flying the plane. And I'd love to see him. I know Otani's not going back there probably, but I'd love to see him build a system that gets Mike Trout some some more visibility nationally. Because we, we should be watching Mike Trout right now, the best supposedly the best player in baseball, and we're not. We never get to. So true, so true. You hope that the Angels can turn it around. Um, yeah, so they've got a vacancy there after they uh, didn't exercise their option on Phil Nevin. So who knows? Maybe Buck gets a a second chance there. And I think that you're really right, is that baseball is better when certain teams are good. You want the New York teams good. You want the Red Sox to be good, just because it's more interesting to watch, whether you're fans of them or not. Yeah, Dodgers. It's Dodgers, a, yeah. It's part of baseball history. So, yeah, none of those teams are, you know, rooting for now. But I, I do, again, going, going full swing back to our, our – uh, early conversation about Texas and Arizona. I give Chris Young a lot of credit with Texas because they were, they were as bad as you could be. And Young, I think Young was a good major league pitcher. Uh, he's a Princeton grad too. Uh, actually was a tremendous basketball player there. was their starting center, um, was a two sport athlete. And then he got drafted and Ivy league rules. You cannot play another. So you can't, so he couldn't play basketball because he was playing professional baseball. It's the only conference in America you can't do that in. So he had to leave basketball after his junior year, and uh, he's been. A, I, I like his tenure with Texas as a front office guy. He's always adapted, and for him to go out and hire the hire he had with, with uh, to say, okay, we're getting a strong mind in here, tells you exactly the type of baseball guy he is. And there's there's a story that I can again I can't remember where I read it, but we've chronicled it on on a couple of our shows. Uh, last year he went out to the team. He was unhappy with how they were performing too many errors, too many, you know, missed pitcher fielding opportunities where you cover first base, right side, too many missed pop-ups. And he said, for the next, the next two months, we're going to take infield outfield before games. And he got some resistance from the players, Corey Seager being one. He asked why, because they've never done that. Um, that this generation of player has never done that. And he said, because I need you to, because we, we're not good right now and we need to get better. And I need somebody like yourself to take the lead on this, even if you don't understand it. They'll follow you. And to Seeger's credit, he did it. And uh, I, I like Young. I think he made a great hire, and we're seeing the we're seeing the results now with that. That's fascinating. I mean, that whole point about, you know, telling the players that they're going to go through this workout routine, in a way, right now, it's revolutionary. But it's something that they had been doing for years. I mean, it's how baseball evolved, but it just hasn't, I guess, according to what you're saying, been happening a whole lot recently. Oh, never. They don't even take batting practice a lot of times before. You know, as kids going to games, we'd get there early so you could watch BP, watch guys take ground balls, throw in the outfield, see the pitchers running, uh, doing their mechanics work and their fielding work. And even that stuff nowadays you don't see. And, you know, coaches on the side hitting fungos, defensive guys reading the ball off the bat. I mean, it was it was a whole I mean, it was a whole bunch of stuff going on. That was fun to watch the dynamics. And it's a way it's that's how the only the only way you get better. Uh, from a fielding standpoint is actually fielding balls. You can simulate it off fungos and whatnot, which, which we all do. But the, the best way to get better is reading the ball off of live bats. And batting practice is a good way. People think it's for offense only. It's not. It's for defense. So, yeah, Young, Young made the push there. And honestly, I, the, the pivot that the Arizona Diamondbacks, I think they finally figured out who they are and who they're going to be in Major League Baseball. And it certainly is working. Certainly working. So all these teams with changes – there's with the right decisions and the right combinations, you can, you know, what they're showing now is you could be relevant the next year. Yeah, they certainly have, you know, risen like the Phoenix, both of them, D-backs and Rangers. 
So with uh with 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 that segment, who else are we missing there? Who didn't we get? That's open. I think we got him. Uh, the Guardians. Terry Francona retired after eleven. Can you believe he was manager there for eleven years? I don't. I and I actually um um I had no clue that it was that long. Um, he uh he's one of the best. I thought he he was he was wronged in Boston the way they pushed him out and tried to blame him for you know their their faults and glad he did really well with the Guardians. I love their team. I mean they play they play baseball uh, the right way. And, you know, it's time he's having, he was having some health issues this year and I hope they get a good, and that's when, when council's name came up for that. I said, Ooh, I'd love to see him go there because he, to me, he's in that mold, that Terry Francona mold. Yeah. And for Craig council, it would be another kind of small market team like the brewers were, but yeah, council apparently has a lot of ties to Wisconsin. I mean, he's got family there. He likes it there. So it's going to take something to pull him away from there. If, yeah. if uh, Steve Cohen opens his wallet, maybe that'll be just the pull he needs. He doesn't have to leave the state. He can always go back. But uh, a few million dollars uh, topped, topped on his normal salary, that, that'll motivate uh, without a doubt. But yeah, we'll see. I, I'm a big fan of Council, too. I hope he continues the trend of – hope he doesn't – I guess that's my biggest concern. Don't hope He doesn't change who he is and who he's, who he's been because it's been successful no matter what the push or pull is on either side of him. But, um, I mean, I think the Mets, they'll bring back their closer next year. He was, uh, he was injured. I don't know what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing with Pete Alonzo. There's, there was talk of trade, trade, trade. I think Mets fans would revolt if that happened. hundred percent. I mean, he's homegrown. They love him. Yeah. And then, uh, but I, I just don't know as I was as much as a fan of, I was a Lindor style of play. Uh, before he came to the Mets, I just don't know that he's the right guy to hang their hat on to be the cornerstone right now, the way he's performed or underperformed, I should say. Yeah, a little better season last year. We'll see. They have a good core there. You know, Lindor Alonso, Nimmo, Alvarez, and you, like you mentioned, Diaz will be back. And they also have some good youngsters, Mauricio and Batty, or Beatty, rather. So, yeah, Beatty. Like, watch. I do like Beatty. He, him and, uh, I mentioned Casas with the Red Sox. Those those two guys kind of came up the line together, different organizations, but two big lefty sticks that um, actually defend too. Those are two big bodies out there playing. Well, you know, a lot lot to, a lot will happen. I think it tends to get a little slow right before the the winter meetings, and then at the winter meetings, that's when all the the action happens. So uh, we'll kind of hold tight and keep our eye on stuff and report it as we see it. If we hear inside scoop. We'll certainly get it out there to our audience, but uh, we didn't miss anything then. We, I guess we missed the Guardians before we, we capped it, but anyone else you want to tap into? No, I think we're in good shape. I think we've uh, filled our audience in. Yep. So our, our closer now, where are you going to take us there? So first game of the World Series was Friday night, and it was a little chilly up here in the Northeast, a little cool that night. And you know what, Dave? We got a large pizza and we opened a bottle of Chianti, and the world was my oyster. Because it was game one of the World Series. It's October. I'm sitting on my couch. I'm starving. It was great. We wolfed down our pizza and drank our Chianti, and that may have explained why I was dozing off once 11.30 and midnight came around. Um, But that's how I rolled, and I think that is a really good thing to eat and drink while watching a baseball game. How about yourself? Can't go wrong with pizza. Can't go wrong. Are you a a meat guy on your pizza or a veggie guy? Uh, We get a little bit of everything. We've got different. With uh, four children, myself and my wife, we've got all different kinds of tastes, so we try to spread it around. And uh, I don't discriminate with my uh, my choice. I'll try a little bit of everybody, so – we got uh, our daughter does the, she's a big veggie, our boys and our, actually our youngest daughter, heavy on the meat. Uh, my wife's a little bit healthier with, with her choices. So with me, I don't make any selections. I just kind of poach off everybody else. Yeah, will- it's a good way to go. Pizza is one of these foods that's always good. Like even a bad pizza isn't bad because it's still pizza. So it's good. Oh yeah. No, we've got some great choices around here. You don't think South Carolina as a as a uh, great place for, for Italian food, but we've got some tremendous choices down here to, to get that pizza. So, but uh, no, it sounds like a good one. I'm glad we got, 
the episode in while it was still October. So the, the, uh, the title, the audience still got to have one more date in October with KFT before we move into November. Now, are you getting the November weather up there already? You know, it really started um, today. Well, we had a warm couple of days over the weekend, um, but we had a big change in the weather yesterday and today. Rainy, cool, the leaves are on the ground, and I like it. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for that uh, cool weather cooking. And also bourbon. I'm a big bourbon fan, Dave. And it just tastes better in the cold weather. No, well, you're you're educating me. I'm, I'll have to uh, inquire more as we we go on. I'm I'm a little bit novice with my my uh, with that side of my world. I like beer. I'll do wine. Haven't not not big on the bourbon, even though I did spend some time in Kentucky. Put it in. I've I've had bourbon in my chocolate before, and I've had the bourbon wine. I've had, I don't know if you've ever had that bourbon infused wine, but uh, the bourbon straight is tough for me, so I give you, give you, give you a lot of credit there. Tough, tougher than I am. But I've heard that too. The cold weather is a good time to to drink bourbon in, and we don't get that down here. Everyone's complaining because it's going to be like sixty eight down here tomorrow, so that's cold. Oh my goodness gracious, really? Well, I, I've heard that's how it is down south. You know, everyone puts on their minks when it's fifty degrees. Without question. So, well, great, great episode today. Uh, do you want to, any any parting shots to the audience? Anything you want to foreshadow or ask them to pay attention to with the World Series coming up? Oh, we've got some good stuff coming up from Three Inning Fan on Instagram and Twitter. Tomorrow, we've got a special Halloween Three Inning Minute. And because I won't talk to you again until after Veterans Day, which is going to be observed on November 10th this year, there's going to be a special Veterans Day video that'll come down that day honoring the ball players who fought in World Wars One, World War Two, and the Korean War. Dave, isn't it hard to fathom that there was a day when these guys left the ball field and went and fought in a war? Yeah, it, it, it interrupted a lot of great careers. Ted Williams. No, yeah. And I just I posted something on Ted Williams uh kind of doing a little bit of the same thing with our site as we lead up to Veterans Day. But when Ted Williams hit over 400, uh, he hit 409 that year, I believe. But if people go back, and this may be something for the three-inning fan you could, you could go deeper into, but at that time, sacrifice flies were counted against you as outs, where now in today's modern statistics, those aren't counted as outs. It's just like a walk. So it doesn't count as a bat, doesn't count as a hit. It's a wash. And when he hit over 400 that year, sacrifice flies were counted as, a, as outs. And I believe he hit 41 of them. And if he, if he had the modern day stats governing that batting average, he would hit 419, I believe is what I posted. But uh, yeah, so his batting average would have been well over 400. There would have been no controversy the last day. Does he have to play? Does he not? Because he was at 399.6, I think. And he decided to play the doubleheader. But hit 406, would have hit 13 points higher if he had the luxury of today's modern day statistics. I did not know that about the sacrifice flies. That is tremendous information. Thank you. So for three inning fan, there you go. You can throw that out to those there and uh, speak kindly of me. That's all. Speak kindly of me. I always do, Dave. So with uh, episode today, it's a great episode. I'm glad we got this one in on a Monday here. We got Hall of Fame week uh, coming up. Uh, following following Kelly throughout the week. We've got our very own Kevin Kernan, obviously, Jim Cott, the Mace Baseball uh, MLB Hall of Famer with Cooperstown. But we have Burt Blylevin on this week uh, on with uh, us tomorrow with with uh, with Shafe. Shafe show tomorrow, touch them all. And then at the end of the week uh, with Wiley and Will, we have the Hall of Famer Jim Palmer. So busy week for us during this first uh, week of the World Series. We are trying to get Dusty Baker on. Uh, we are trying to get Buck on, so we're trying to get some, as we get to the winter meetings, we'll be we'll be rocking and rolling in the off season. So, but great episode today, episode three thirty two. Want to remind our audience here, Blackout Coffee. Uh, they are now going to be a uh, I guess a sponsor, a partner with us. So they've offered the first installment of the sponsorship, twenty percent off your total purchase for the first time through. After that, it'll be fifteen percent off. But on the first one only. You do David, all capital letters, with the number 20 after. You'll get 20% off your purchase. Great great uh, product. I'm drinking it right now. Uh, similar vibes that we have in terms of their approach to their business. So it's a great, 
a great marriage. And then uh, we'll continue that 15% off in perpetuity. I will post that link later today. So two different links, you get 20% off and then get 15 after you get the 20. So uh, glad we have that partnership. And thanks to our audience, 55,000 and climbing, 74 countries tuning in uh, to all of our shows. Just make sure you keep supporting us. We can continue being a major player in the very powerful iHeartRadio podcast network. So with that, KFT, great show today. We appreciate you. Thank you, Dave. A date in October with KFT. We will see you in November right before or right after Veterans Day. You bet. Surprise, he did the monster man.